Hello, I'm Carrie Gard, and welcome to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Welcome back to season 12. What do you think of my conversation with Sienna? If you haven't checked it out yet, be sure to skip back and take a listen. Sienna and I discussed gamification and how to bring your product to B2B buyers through a fun and gamified experience. Yeah, super cool. Check it out. In this episode, I connected with Seku White, where we discuss how to market to tough audiences who are marketing skeptics. In his case, the developer audience. Having been a developer, Seku understands his audience and that traditional advertising doesn't work. Seiko is a multifaceted marketing professional with 20 years of experience in technology, entertainment, and media. He spent the first half of his career launching some of the biggest video games, mobile apps, and digital advertising products. More recently, he's been focused on building robust developer communities through advertising, PR, and partnerships. Here is my conversation with Seiko. Seku, thank you for joining me on Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Hey, hey, Carrie, pleasure, pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm excited. Yes, me too. I, I can't wait for our conversation. And uh, before we get there, though, and this is going to lend nicely to, to our conversation, tell us your story, Seku. What do you do? And most importantly, how did you get there? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. Um, one that I wish was, uh, was a lot more linear, <laughs> but, but it's, uh, you know, it's been, a, it's been an interesting path. So currently I am the VP of developer marketing, uh, VP and head of developer marketing for a startup uh, named Turing. Uh, Turing is, is essentially uh, an AI startup uh, that, that has built a platform that connects uh, remote developers with uh, US-based uh, companies. So think not only sort of fast growth startups, but also uh, Fortune 50 companies. Um, my team really focuses on um, building a brand, um, building the Turing brand um, with, with developers and, 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 and trying to act as an upper funnel um, and getting them not only aware of our brand, but also deeply invested in, in the Turing brand, um, uh, which, which is, 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 is super challenging and, and super fun. Um, I've spent the last five or six years uh, in developer marketing, but um, I, I started my career as a marketer in, in, in consumer. Um, I worked in video games uh, in my in my twenties and my early thirties. Um, was was really a fantastic experience. Um, that's where I kind of cut my teeth on in marketing, uh, specifically as a product marketer launching launching video games. Um, and so, uh, if you uh, if 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 you remember uh, any 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 sort of the old school video games like um, you know like Halo Wars or uh, you know DJ Hero, uh, I was I was. I was a part of those marketing teams, uh, both at Xbox, uh, Microsoft Xbox, as, as well as Activision. Um, at a certain point, I, I transitioned from consumer marketing into more B2B marketing, uh, specifically in the ad tech space. Um, and so I spent time um, both at an ad network, at, at a publisher, uh, but then at, at Facebook for, for a number of years, uh, where uh, I also focused on, on sort of developer marketing. And, and, and that's you know, where I kind of entered that space um, from there, I, I went went back to IBM, which uh, which is where I started my career uh, 20 years ago, um, and was the director of uh, developer marketing for a couple of years before I, I transitioned into my new role. So, 
Um, it's been, a, been been an interesting ride, um, but I think you know the, the through line has always been um, in my career. Uh, it, it's it's really always been about um, you know like building something. Um, whether I was working in consulting or whether I was working as a product marketer in, in the in the B two C space or working as a developer marketing in a B two B space, um, I've always been interested in sort of um, you know building things, uh, building campaigns, build, building building audiences. Um, products um and so that's 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 sort of uh driven me uh in in in, in the right direction um and you know tech technology as 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 an, an uber industry has always been um sort of present uh in in my career uh, I've, I've worked in a lot of different sort of technology businesses um and so i think that's that's sort of another through line um but i've always been fascinated with with the intersection um of of media technology and, and entertainment. And, um, you know, typically I've, I've strived to sort of, uh, you know, work and work at that intersection um, wherever I've been. Uh, and I feel like you've in some ways created that intersection, um, which is what we're gonna like hang out and talk about in a minute. But before we get there, hang on to your hat. <laughs> That's my hat here. Cause I, I want to dive right in. I'm gonna take a breath. Um, before we dive in, what challenge is what challenges are you currently facing right now? So can, can you give us one example of just something that's keeping you up at night or something that's just just a struggle? Yeah, you know, and I think I think this is a lot of people can relate to this, um, this idea of attribution. Um, and I think mm -hmm. there's always especially in B2B marketing, there, there's always this this healthy tension between, um, you know, sort of the pull of performance marketing um, and then sort of core traditional brand marketing right so performance marketing really being focused on driving a conversion and brand marketing really really focused on not that it's not focused on driving a conversion but but again it's it's sort of more upper funnel it's it's more about establishing a brand it's more about creating the driving demand creating creating intent uh to purchase um and, and really making people people feel something and and it's interesting and i think both from a from an organizational level you sort of feel that tension but I think even as at as functional as a functional leader, I you know I feel that every day. I'm currently I, I work in an organization that's extremely talented um, in, in in performance marketing um, and and has really you know built um, a, a rather large platform of, of a million developers really on the back of performance marketing, um, using data and leveraging data uh, in order to target the right audiences, deliver the right messages, um, and really driving conversion. Um, my role and my team is something it's, it's, it's a little different it's, it's new to the organization and you know we're we're really focused on a establishing a brand that means something to developers um, and then b making sure everybody knows about it right mm -hmm. and and so when you're when you're tasked with that role uh, but at the same time the organization is very performance driven right very 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 data driven um, so there's, there's a healthy tension there and so that's that's something that I you know that I'm I'm thinking through constantly, working through every day. You know the the, the idea is that you know we always should look at these things uh, in terms of uh, you know a full funnel lens, right? Um, and there's a place for performance marketing, especially in mid to lower funnel. But um, if you don't have uh, a machine at the top of the funnel uh, to to help establish brand and drive awareness, uh, you see things like churn and retention um, challenges with with things like churn and retention rather. Um, and so 
that's been a that's been a that's been a that's been a a a a, a legit obstacle mm -hmm. uh, for for me and my team. You know, the things that we want to do, having to having to prove out, um, you know, how this is going to add value um, to the bottom line um, is not necessarily easy, right? I mean, you think about something like outdoor outdoor advertising, right? if that's that's part of your strategy or part or a tactic, right, to establish brand. You know, how do you how do you link that to conversions, right? I mean, there's ways to do it, right? But it, it's not it's not necessarily easy, and you definitely need an infrastructure to be able to get again attribute, um, you know, the, the value, the efficacy of these things towards driving the bottom line. And so, I think anyone who's who works in B two B, I think that that there's always a healthy tension there, and I think that's that's super challenging. Um, and you know, getting people to kind of think a little bit differently and understand that. Just because something doesn't drive a specific action doesn't mean it didn't contribute to that action, A. And then B, doesn't mean that it's not valuable, right? I mean, there's something to be said about things like brand recall and brand recognition, um, brand lift, right? And, and so all of those sort of brand metrics um, are, are, are interesting things as counterpoints to sort of the not, you know, the typical uh, you know, cost per acquisition and, and, and those types of metrics. And so, so anyway, long answer, but but that's 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 the biggest challenge. Um, it's it's a good challenge, and uh, you know I, I think I'm learning personally learning a lot because I, I actually my last job where I was a performance marketer, and so I'm, I'm back to being sort of more of a brand marketer, and so it's been an interesting um, it's been an interesting challenge, sort of you know going one, from one end of the spectrum back to the other end of the spectrum and, and trying to reconcile that. Yeah. Oh gosh, I remember. You know, it's been a while since I did out of home and, and traditional media, but I mean, there was no, there was no metrics on, I mean, TV had, what were they, G, 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 uh, I can't even remember, it was so long ago, but like, yeah, we weren't, we weren't held to anything, right? We just knew where the right audience was, what the makeup of that audience was, and then we do to put media there, and that was about it, so I, Brand you know, <laughs> yes, totally. I what's lovely about now is that I think that brand is incredibly measurable. It's very exciting to think about it actually, and we could rabbit hole on that real hard because you know and nerd out completely because times have changed. I mean, you could measure now with digital at a home. It's probably actually measurable. I'm right. I'm not saying all the way down to the bottom line, but there's definitely clear metrics that you can have there that can you can make some correlation, you know, insightful analysis of like how that impacted or didn't and where and, and really like break it apart. That sounds like it was so much fun. Like, yeah, it's a challenge, but like a really fun challenge to have. So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that and with us. No, no problem. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're playing around with things like QR codes and um, you know, we're looking at we're looking at search, and um, you know, those those are two levers that I think are interesting. I think when you know QR codes, I think you know everyone's been talking about QR codes again because Forever. of the Coinbase app. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, they, they the the only <laughs> only really good application that I see for them as a, for a marketer is is out of out of home and outdoor. Um, but we're still a long way, I think, away from you know being able to use just that data as mm -hmm. as something that you know, can justify outdoor. Outdoor is a tough one. I, I will, I will readily say that. And that's not to, to all the all the fans of out, outdoor marketing and outdoor advertising. Don't kill me, but but it's 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 typically a tough one. I think there's there's a time and place for it and a need for it in, in, in certain strategies. But I think it's always going to come back. It's sort of like events. It's always going to come back to ROI, and and sometimes it's a little tougher 
to measure that with, with those tactics. Definitely, definitely. Um, in terms of what you're doing now, you said so many interesting words um, and, and mostly, but it was the coupling of some of the words that you said that really caught my attention. So one of them is developer marketing. So what does that mean? I mean, I think I know what it means yeah. based off the fact that I know what a developer is and I know what marketing is, but like in terms of what you do, like what, what does that mean for you? You're, that's an interesting audience yeah. to be going after for sure. It, extremely interesting. It's, it's, it's a very niche audience for sure. And it's, you know, it's an interesting place where, how I got into it, but, um, but to answer your question uh, more directly, um, generally speaking, it's, it's just any type of audience, it's, it's audience marketing, right? And it just happens to target software engineers and, and software developers and things like that. I think it means different things at different companies, right? So, you know, when I was at Facebook and when I was at IBM, where I also had developer roles, it was really more around ecosystem, right? So developers through the use of APIs contribute to, con contribute to technology and ecosystem in some, in some way, right? So Facebook has obviously one on the business side through their business APIs and has one on, on their, um, on the, you know, sort of the, the app side, they call it the graph API, right? Where they have, a, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of developers that are building not only tools and apps, but also businesses on, on Facebook. So the developer audience becomes very, very important. And so there, there's other tech companies that sort of replicate that kind of thing. We want to scale our technology through APIs. We need to talk to developers. And so that's one use case. Um, you know, IBM, slightly different. I mean, they were selling, selling a product to, to developers to a certain extent. Um, you know, and I, I worked in a, a, a division that was adjacent to sort of the cloud, IBM cloud um, team. And so in that case, it was more about, you know, having a dialogue with, with developers, giving them the tools necessary um, and really getting them locked in on, on, onto a product, right? And so, you know, what, where you store your data and, and how you sort of organize that is important, right? And, and it could be AWS, it could be GCP, it could be Azure, or it could be at the time when I was working at IBM, it could be IBM or it could be any other number of sort of cloud providers or hyperscalers. And so again, that developer is very important as an ecosystem, but also it's important for a company like IBM that's selling services to clients. Developers have a lot of um, sort of leeway. They have a lot of influence on, on you know, sort of their technical decision makers, their leaders to make decisions on to terms of, you know, where to spend money. And, and so the developer marketing is really focused on that. Tur at Turing, it's yet again, very different. Again, same audience, right? But a little bit different and a little nuanced. At Turing, our product, and, and I mean this in, in, the, in the best way, right? Our product is the wonderful and talented global developers that we have on the platform, right? And so they are, you know, they are our partners, right? right? And so the, the marketing that we're doing to them is very different because I'm literally not selling anything to them, right? I'm saying, hey, join this platform um, and, you know, you will um, further your career, uh, be compensated super well, uh, have some flexibility about where you work and, and how you, um, organize your professional and, and, and personal lives. And so it's, it's a very sort of different value proposition. And so at touring developer marketing, um, and anything type of developer relations is very core and integral to the business, as opposed to core and integral to an ecosystem, if, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. and so, so long answer, but that's, that's, that's developer marketing. Um, but, but again, it could, it could be very different depending on, on, on where you are and, and what products you're working on. 
but I love that because I think it's what's, that's what makes it, that's what makes audience marketing so interesting is that it's not just about labeling a group and calling them developers. It's really understanding to a whole new level of what, what, what niche niches within that audience are you talking to? And to your point, that value prop of like how you basically want to help them. Right. I mean, it all comes back right. to the value you bring to the table and you're, and you're, rec- what's so crazy and cool about what you're doing right now is that you're basically recruiting, like you're doing recruiting marketing as well in the sense of like, it's not, um, it's not the B2B sense of we have a product and we're selling it to you. It's come join us and come work for us. And, and while it might not be like from an FTE standpoint, maybe it is, I don't know, but like, it's just, I think recruiting marketing or marketing to recruit is going to take off. I'm already seeing it. You're the second person I've talked to who's putting an actual like clear emphasis on what that even means. Um, and, and audience marketing is definitely at the heart of making that successful. You have to, you have to know who you're talking to and what their challenges are and how you're going to support them and bring that value to them. Like, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's an interest, it's an interesting and and challenging audience. I mean, developers, so developers are obviously not, not a monolith. Right. And, and so, and and I think they, they often get treated as such. Um, and I think that's one of the misnomers that it's, you know, um, you know, like a 27 year old, um, you know, white, white male man that sits in the basement and doesn't have any friends and just game plays games all day. And I think that's, that's kind of the stereotype of, of developers where, you know, nothing can be further from the truth. I think developers span, um, obviously all, all different demographics, uh, all different socioeconomic demographics. Um, they certainly have a lot of differences in terms of like what they specialize in, in the tech stack and what they're into and what they're interested in. So, you know, it's 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 challenging because you know you it's it's an audience based off of a profession, right? Right? Yeah. I mean, and it's so you know it's it's a different type of audience than if I if I say, hey, like I go after surfers, I do surfer marketing, right? I mean, I think surfing is more of a lifestyle, even if it is professional. But I mean, you could probably get some behavioral things. I think uh, developer marketing is, is challenging because because again, there's there's so much there's so much variety. I think the one thing they have in common is. They don't necessarily like being marketed to. No, they do that. <laughs> market to other 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 products, um, and and I think I think that's something that we always have to think about. Um, yeah. And the other thing we have to we have to think about too, and I've been pushing my teams constantly is, you know, developers are, and I tell people this all the time, they're they're, they're regular people, <laughs> right? And they they have the same they have the same hopes and fears and and interests uh, as 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 anybody else, and so, you know, everything doesn't have to be extremely tech focused, right? I mean, sometimes you can take a different approach, right? And, and appeal to something maybe they're interested in that doesn't specifically have something to do with what they're doing uh, at work, right? I mean, it's kind of like us, right? Imagine if everyone that marketed to us was just marketing to marketers, right? And not taking into account that, you know, you have kids and you're from different places and, you know, you have different experiences. And I think that's the opportunity and challenge of, of, of this type of audience. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. And, you know, that said, you know, this, this places you have to be and some of the stereotypes are true. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you still have to, you know, kind of do show up at these events and, and, and do certain things, but yeah, it's, it's fun. I'm married to a developer. So I feel like I can um, nice. speak to that nice. of, of the fact that they do not like to be marketed to. Um, it's always an interesting conversation that we have of like what I do versus how much he's, <laughs> he's just not believing it. Um, yeah. 
what I will say though, I, I, I think this lends perfectly into our conversation of where we wanted to sit today, because that is sort of the beauty of this audience and to what you're saying, Saku, in, in line of that you can speak to their interests because their interests are actually super fun. Or maybe I'm just a total geek and nerd, so I can appreciate that. But like, you know, I, I remember seeing a, um, a Microsoft campaign a while ago that was, that was aimed at developers and, uh, oh, I wish I could go find it, and pull it up. It was so clever, but it was, it was like Star Wars references and it was like leaning into, you know, just total pop culture around like what this audience loves. And it, I mean, it was a complete B2B play, but it was this really creative, fun thing that they did uh, to everything that you're talking about. And yeah, that's really fun and should be. And it doesn't always have to be so cut and dry. And so, especially with what you're doing from a recruiting standpoint of like lifestyle, you know, you are speaking to their lifestyle, but life and work are, uh, it, they are blur, blurred lines now. <laughs> Most of us are working from home. We, we live where we work now. And so I think it's a lot easier to bring up some of those, you know, I think it's a lot easier from a marketing standpoint to, to blur those lines even more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, it, and I think, you know, we're, you know, and we're not selling a, a, a job per se, right. We're selling more of a, you know, like a, a, the value proposition is really around the platform, right. The, this platform allows you to sort of live your life in a different way. Right. And instead of for freelancers, instead of living sort of gig to gig, right. These are sort of long-term, you know, long-term engagements where you're working directly with the clients, right? I mean, and, 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 and then, you know, you can work with multiple clients. I mean, you could roll off one contract and, and, and then get matched with another client. And so it's this, it's a different way of working, right? And that's another thing that's interesting to, to this is this is not like, you know, we're not doing, you know, like our company is not a staffing company per se. I think you could say we're, you know, we're disrupting sort of the staffing industry, right? Where, you know, we've built a platform that uses AI and, and machine learning um, to, to, to match, really match based on, you know, hundreds of attributes, clients and, and, uh, and developers. And so really the challenge for us is not only just sort of developing a brand and, 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 you know, driving awareness, but it's, it's really about, hey, you work at X company in Brazil, right? Full-time job. I'm saying because of the value proposition of this platform, there's a there's a different way to do it, right? Um, mm -hmm. Maybe working working full time for this company doesn't make any sense. Maybe maybe you work with Turing and work with multiple companies, right? Um, you know, not at the same time, obviously. But it's it's a, it's it's sort of a different way of thinking, and, and for the reasons I mentioned before. And so that's kind of fun, right? I mean, it's 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 a bit short. Sure, it's it's a bit of that staffing angle, but it's also it's it's a pure technology. Um, angle as well, right? And, and and talking about the benefits of the platform, but but to your point, and where it's, I think it's overlaps with some of that, you know, sort of what you would do in staffing is like you are sort of selling, um, you know, the value proposition of 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 sort of how you live your life and how you just have decided to 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 professionally sort of grow, um, and and yeah, it's it's super interesting, and I think you know just in terms of developer marketing. Because you mentioned um, you mentioned Microsoft, there's a lot of companies that, that do great great developer marketing, and I think, you know, when we talk about developer marketing, I think people tend to go towards you know sort of the and this is my pet peeve, and I teach a class, I teach a marketing class at NYU, and I always tell my students it's like one of my pet peeves is, <laughs> you know, whenever people think about marketing, they automatically go to advertising, right? Um, and while advertising is a big part of marketing, right, it's it's, it's not the only part, and so. 
not only do you have sort of demand gen and you know advertising and things like PR, but there's also any real developer program, developer marketing or developer relations program has um, community components to it. Like how do you oh, yeah. how do you bring a community together? How do you engage in that community? How do you keep them engaged, right? Whether both online or offline. Also like skill building. Like how are you adding value? Are you are you helping the the, the developers in your ecosystem to build skills? and learn more and, or get certified and get things that are really, really sort of, um, really sort of like a value, like a real value yeah. add, right? That they monetize at a certain point. Um, and then it's, it's, it's also about advocacy, right? Um, aligning yourselves with, with developers and platforms and companies that have eminence in the space. I mean, I think that's an important part. So whether you have sort of your own developer advocates, whether you work with external developer advocates, I mean, that's that's kind of part of the game, yeah. right? And so, you know, developer market, is, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's a lot of these, it's like a lot of the special sauce. And I think, you know, outside of advertising and, and PR, I think the other stuff that I mentioned, you know, probably like your husband probably wouldn't say, oh, that's not marketing, marketing. Yeah. but it actually, all of it is marketing, right? And so I think when you broadly think about all of these things as marketing, that's that's kind of how you effectively like reach that audience. It's not it's, it can't just be advertising and, and PR, but you know that stuff works well too. I think that's such a good point, and that and and I think when we start to think about the um, convergence or sort of the three things that you talked about earlier of media, tech, and entertainment coming together, I mean, there's no better place in terms of talking about the developer audience than those three things. And it is beyond advertising. I mean, my husband has a, an ad blocker. He doesn't see any advertising all day. Right. He's completely right. against it. He's never going to click on an ad. Term. It's not going to happen, right? But right. SEO is a huge play because if he has a problem, the first place he goes to is he Googles it, right? Absolutely, so, absolutely. And community. I mean, he has built himself wherever he goes, he builds communities of people who share interests and need, you know, support. And so, yeah, uh, going out there and finding a way to create community around developers is definitely a huge opportunity because that is where they, that's what they do all day is they sit online and they talk to one another and they have these amazing conversations and they problem solve and they, uh, they niche out on the things that they love to talk about in terms of gaming and movies and, and um problem solving and keyboards and um so on and so forth so yes i i love what you're saying around community community is marketing um when it's when it's a brand that's sort of building the community and it can be so powerful also what you're saying too about advocacy um you know and and having because i do find i you you know this better than i do suku but you know once you do have a developer who believes in your brand they like they're in it to win it and they hold you to a high standard. So they don't just take everything you say at point blank. They're gonna, they're gonna question it and, and hold you accountable, but they're gonna be a huge advocate for, for who you are. So word of mouth in terms of that way is like huge among, among the developer company. Like if you get a developer stamp of approval, like you're in. <laughs> right, really right, in. right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and the other, the other thing too, and I think this, go, this goes with every audience, yeah. you know, if, especially if, it's, if, if, if you're ultimately selling a product or, you know, some type of platform or something like that, it, you know, I, it, this goes without saying, but it has to work well. Um, and I think, you know, many of us, that's always a challenge, right? Sometimes as marketers, 
um, you have varying levels of influence on, on, on the product, you know, sort of the efficacy of the product or the quality of the product. Um, you know, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And I think that's a tough hurdle. I mean, to me, that's always a you know, like very large hurdle. And, you know, I remember, you know, <laughs> especially when I worked in video games, um, that's an interest, that's an interesting thing because, um, you do have input in terms of like who the target audience is and, you know, packaging and things like that. But in terms of like the core dynamics of the, the game, that's, that has, you know, you, you have very little, at least I did in the roles that I had. I mean, you had some, um, and again, it depends on the companies you work for and obviously the, the, the publishers you work for. But, you know, again, varying, varying degrees of, of influence on product, uh, but, you know, very little, <laughs> right? And, you know, sometimes a product, you'd work on a product, you'd be lucky enough to work on a product that was absolutely great. Um, and then sometimes you work on a product that, you know, maybe, maybe wasn't so great. And so um, you still have to kind of do your job, right? You still kind of have to come up with, with, with a strategy and, and, uh, and, and a kind of way to, to, to hit your numbers. Right. Um, you know, this is kind of when I was working in product marketing and, and that's, that's always a challenge. Right. And, you know, it's, it's a lot easier when the product is good. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, that's, that's something I, that's a lesson that I've always, I've always taking, taken with me. Um, you know, some of the best marketing I've done is, is on products that, you know, objectively weren't that great. Right. And, um, you know, I won't mention any of those products right now, but, um, you know, it happens and, and, and it, it pushes you and forces you to kind of think of new ways, um, you know, to position things, uh, try new tactics, things, things like that. But, um, it's always easier when the product's good. Do you feel like for the price you worked on that you felt like the product wasn't very good? You did have some sway. I mean, I find that hard to want to work for. I mean, we actually, within our organization, we don't do this so much anymore now because we've niched, we're very focused on the types of tech companies we work for. So we have to have less conversation. But initially when we were bringing on a lot of different companies and different brands, we'd actually vote to say, is this a brand and company we believe in? Is this a product we want to support? Is this something we feel like we can make really successful? Um, why or why not? And, you know, cause I feel like in my own career, having worked on companies and brands that I just couldn't, you know, they were making decisions I totally didn't back or the product wasn't what I thought it should be. And I found it really hard to sort of get up in the morning and keep going. I mean, I love that you saw it as a challenge, but did, does it, does there come like a push comes to shove sort of moment where like you show up and say, this is what needs to change or, or you're, you start looking elsewhere. What's sort of your feeling on that? Curious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good question. I mean, I think now I have more of a philosophical view on it. I think at the time, you know, I was, you know, I was like, this is bullshit, right? This is, <laughs> you know, this is impacting, it's impacting my performance. I can't hit my numbers because the game sucks. Right. And you know, I, I've said the game sucks and, you know, or, or the product's not great and it's not going to sell as much as you think it is and you're making me sign up for these numbers. And so, I, you know, I think at the time I, you know, I had maybe a less mature, <laughs> probably had a less mature stance on it. And so now I think, you know, with, with, uh, with some years under my belt, I think I, I look back and, and I, I, I look back on some of those, some of those campaigns fondly because I, you know, that, that pushed pushed me personally um, and professionally in terms of like being creative and strategic. Um, but to, to, to go back to your point, it, it is demoralizing after a while, right? I mean, nobody wants to work on, you know, we used to call them dogs. Nobody wants to work on a dog, you know, like multiple, like, you know, year after year after year. That's, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to see, especially when you see people working on products that, that are star products doing, you know, good jobs, 
there to good jobs and and but products doing super well and you know you get promoted on when you work on good products i mean you see that in sort of the cpg model um all the time right and right. and so i think i think it's 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 challenging i think you have to prove something when you're new you're going to get put on maybe you know maybe the, the, not the most popular not the best product quality product and you have to prove something you have to show something so you can get put on you know, um, one of, a you know, more of the priority products. And I think that's, that's kind of the mentality. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's, as a marketer, I think it's, it depends, right? I think in technology, again, I do think you, you, there's an opportunity in certain organizations and certain products to have influence on products. I think in, in an industry like, uh, you know, CPG, I think marketing runs, you know, product development, right? So it's a totally different world. So I just want yeah, to be clear about that. Good. I want anybody working at Tide saying, I have total control. I get it, right? Yeah. If you work at Coca-Cola and Pepsi, I mean, your brand manager, you have a lot of influence on what happens with the product. And technology engineering typically runs runs sort of what's going to be built and so on. And I think, and what I say to most organizations, I think bringing in marketing early, um, not necessarily to do the branding or the naming, but to do what actually marketing is, right? what's sizing a market side, looking at the, looking at the market, sizing the market opportunity and really understanding, is this something that people want? Right. And, and, and who wants it? And I think some tech companies do this really well. And I think it's because they, they incorporate either product managers or product marketing managers really early. And some other companies maybe, maybe don't do it as well. Maybe because they, um, I don't know the reason I don't want to, <laughs> I don't yeah, want to guess, no, but no. I, I just but, wanted to your take on it because having been on both sides for you, um, yeah, yeah. It's just interesting yeah. to like hear where you are and um yeah, it's just really interesting. Yeah, and I think that comes back to audience marketing too and the power of it because when you put your audience first and you really understand them as marketers, it gives us a bit of sway. I imagine I imagine it gives you a bit of sway with the product because you're the ones out there actually talking to your people and they're telling you what they need and they're telling you what the benefits are of what it is you're selling or not, or why your product does work the way it does or doesn't work the way that you say it does. So like, what's up with that? So I imagine being audience focused and audi you know, thinking about the audience first really also will help in how you show up to some of those product conversations as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, you know, and, and certainly theoretically, I mean, I think that's, that's the idea. I mean, you should be, you know, a product team product should be talking to anybody that's works in developer relations, really, especially if your product is, um, if you have, if you've invested as an organization in developer relations, so community or marketing or, or what have you. And I think those are the teams that you should work very closely with in terms of understanding you know, how developers are using the product, what they like, what they don't like, so on and so forth. I mean, technically speaking, they, that those teams should be the closest uh, to that audience, to your point, right? And um, that's that's absolutely true. I, you know, I think it, 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 you know, it sort of depends. I think, um, I don't know if I've seen as much of that as, you know, if, you know, if I, if I were, you know, if I did not work, if I didn't work in developers, sort of developer marketing or developer relations, I probably would have thought it was more. Um, and again, this is, you know, this is one person's sort of view. Um, it, it, it happens, it happens in, in bits. And I think that's probably one of the other biggest challenges. And then, and, and to me, that's an organizational challenge, right? I think organizational, especially in marketing or, you know, organization, you know, or product teams, you know, teams tend to be siloed and, you know, you would think it'd be an easy conversation between a product team whose audience, whose target audience is developers and, and a team who does 
exclusively developer marketing, you would think those teams would be work really closely. And, uh, you know, sometimes they, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And I think that's probably more of, um, you know, one of the organizational challenges I think that we, you know, we tend to see in bigger organizations. Totally. No, I mean, yes, I think there's a lot, you know, from the different people I've talked to, in some cases, there's a shift that's where there's a lot more collaboration, which I think is great. But yeah, in the more in the bigger organizations and more traditional organizations, it's definitely siloed. Um, and it's, but there's a lot of chatter from my opinion of like what I've heard of like trying to break those down. I think it's important. I think as you think more about, I just love what you're saying about audience first. And I've been having a lot of conversations around what audience first means. And I think having it, having the organization as a whole be focused on who you're trying to, to essentially work for, who your audience really, who's really buying your product and who's really using it and how they're using it. You know, when you start coming together around such a poignant moment, then I feel like those those walls naturally sort of come down because it's all about what's in the best interest of, of the audience. And you all have different perspectives based on what you all are doing in your specific areas. So it's, it's really fun to sort of watch this evolution unfold at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's super, super interesting. I mean, I think, you know, again, you know, for, for anyone, anyone listening, um, that's sort of, thinking about a career in marketing, you know, I would say, um, you know, B2B uh, is, 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 is challenging and rewarding because of things, you know, things like kind of what we're talking about here, right? Um, in consumer marketing that, you know, you don't, you, you typically, typically don't see audience marketing that, that often in, in consumer, you know, on the consumer side, um, unless it's like, sort of like, um, you know, like, kids, kids, you know, like there's sometimes a kids, kids audience team or, or children's audience team or like a younger sort of a younger generational, like, you know, and again, I'm gonna show my age, but 10 years ago and 15 years ago, they'll have, they'd have them like millennial audience teams. Right? Like yeah. working, Gen Y uh, mom and the, yeah. Right, right. And so you, you, you'll see sort of that um, on the, on the consumer side, but beyond that, you won't see, you know, I mean, you won't see it like you see it on the, on the B2B side where you do see, you know, this, there's tons of, you know, types of audience teams that you might see, especially that, you know, in, in the technology space. So, yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, and, you know, um, it, it's, it's, it's one of the, I think interesting sort of, uh, you know, I don't know, it's it, it interesting, like sort of tweaks of B2B marketing um, for sure. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's really cool. It's been really fun to watch. Um, and be a part of, obviously, uh, as a marketer in SEO and digital ads, definitely being a part of it. But from a marketing manager standpoint, watching how y'all are, are moving around, how you're thinking and how you're putting your audience first, it's just been really cool to, to be a part of. Um, we've talked about a lot. It, it, in terms of everything we've talked about from the, the overlap of media and tech and entertainment to how audience first comes into play to how organizations are structured to your journey. Is is there any one last piece of advice that you want to say to people listening of how they might approach these different aspects? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think uh, I I have a, I have a few, few pieces of advice. I would say, um, 
it's good to have a plan, right? But the reality is, and, and I'll, 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 I'll tailor this to sort of younger professionals. Let's say it's, it's, it's good to have a plan and you should have a plan. Um, but I think if, if you think it's, it's going to go exactly that way, it's not being necessarily realistic. And I think you kind of have to build flexibility into that plan. And I think if you can really think about sort of what at a macro level, what interests you and what motivates you, um, I, I think that's, and, and if you sort of aim towards that and use that as a sort of North star and, and build a plan to kind of get there, I think that that'll serve you better than, you know, trying to obtain a certain title or, you know, even working at a, a specific company. Right. And I think, I think, I think that's, that's a valuable sort of lesson that I've kind of learned throughout my career and building in that flexibility allows you to be open to new experiences and, and pivots and, uh, and, and, and new opportunities. And I think, and I think that's, that's what makes an, an interesting career. And that's what's going to help you kind of learn and, 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 and develop. Um, and I, and I think the, the second thing is, you know, take your time. And, and I, and I, and I say this to, to a lot of, a lot of folks that I, that I mentor and, and I, and I talk to, you know, I think, you know, we live in, we live in a society where, you know, every, everyone, everyone wants all of the success right now, immediately yesterday. Um, and, you know, that's not necessarily the way things work, but, but also it's not necessarily the way things should work. And I think, you know, you have to be in life, you're going to get, you're going to get multiple opportunities, but you have to be ready for those opportunities. And sometimes when you're, when you're rushing, you might get an opportunity before you're ready for that opportunity. And I've certainly gone through that in my career, you know, where or other certain roles that I haven't done as well, or could have done well, more, uh, could have done better, I would say, uh, you know, I think it's probably because I wasn't ready for that opportunity. Um, and so, you know, I think about that a lot now. Um, and, it, and it's not about second guessing yourself. It's about just being realistic, realistic, right? Um, not only can I get that role or can I get that position, it, it's more about, you know, can I be good? Can I be great at that position? And I, that's, the, that's the frame that you should use, I think, when you're thinking about your next opportunities. Like, am I going to be great at this? Am I going to be successful? And I think under that lens, you say, hey, I could get this job, but maybe, maybe I need to develop other, other skills. Maybe I need a little bit more experience. I think there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that puts you in a position for when opportunities do come you know, you really can, can take advantage, um, uh, you know, because, because you were ready, you were ready for that opportunity. And I think that's, that's, that's super important. Such great advice. And I think, especially now as, as the, you know, people are coming out of college and they're starting to find their footing and their, their first job, but also for people who are maybe in jobs that they're not all that keen on and they're trying to figure out what to do with themselves. Like I, I do think there's a lot of pressure of like needing to be, you know, this, you know, the 30 under 30 list and those sort yeah. of things are That's like right. just unnecessary pressure that we put on ourselves because we feel like we need to strive for it. Right. And yeah. yeah. And, LinkedIn, and LinkedIn, LinkedIn doesn't help. LinkedIn doesn't help. I mean, you know, I, I, I can't wait for the studies that come out, you know, and, you know, there's, there's always been a bunch of studies coming out about, you know, Facebook and Instagram and, and you know, talking about the, the impact or the, you know, the negative impact potentially that it can have on, on sort of teenagers and their, you know, self-esteem and, and how they view themselves and how they're comparing themselves and, and, and their overall happiness. 
I mean, I, <laughs> and this is not to criticize LinkedIn, but, you know, I mean, you're starting to see some of those things on LinkedIn too, especially for younger professionals where, you know, you're, you're more focused about building a brand than, than, than necessarily actually getting, you know, getting the experiences in order to, to more organically build a brand. And I think, um, you know, that's, that's something I think, you know, to watch out for as well. And I tell people all the time, it's like, you know, none of this stuff is, it's sort of like a snapshot of, like 10% of reality to a certain extent. I mean, everybody, no, no one's gonna, no one's gonna put their, their dirty laundry on these things. So you have to take it with a grain of salt. And this is some people's best foot forward and everybody is putting the best foot forward all the time on LinkedIn, right? And so don't, don't allow that to put pressure on, on, on yourself. It's like, if you have a plan, you know, trust the process. That's what I, that's what I always say. If you have a plan, trust the process and keep, keep moving forward and, and that stuff will come to you. I love that. I, I, uh, I think uh, social media in general is just creates a very dangerous place for echo chambers. And so you start surrounding yourself on these social media channels of those top A performers who are always on um, and you're not seeing anything else. And that's really, really dangerous. Um, I agree. I agree. Such a great reminder. Thank you, Saku. Before we close out here, um, you know, I think you said it earlier and I, you know, I love that I, makes what I, this last piece of the puzzle so important of like, you're more than a marketer. So let's pull back that curtain for people. And uh, I have three rapid fire questions for you just to help people get to know you a bit better. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right, first question for you. Have you picked up any new hobbies in the last two years? Cycling. Oh, nice. Uh, like outdoor I, I, or like a system? Outdoor, outdoor cycling. I mean, I started on the Peloton, but I bought a bike and I, I get after it. I can't say that I'm great, but I'm getting better. Um, yeah, it's 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 fun. It's very addictive. I totally agree. I had an electric bike um, last year because I moved to this tiny island with these teeny tiny roads, and I was like, oh, I'm not driving here. And then I got an electric bike, and I could put my kids on the back, and I just love it. I mean, it's not cycling in the sense of how you do it, but there is something about being out there and uh, and on a bike. It's the best. I love it. Um, Second question for you. If you uh, could be with your team in person, and uh, maybe you will be, it's something to think about in the near future here. Uh, what song would you want playing to set the vibe of the room? Oh, man. Um, oh, let's, 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 I'll go, go a little old school. Um, not that old school, but, uh, you know, uh, I go run, run this town, uh, Jay Z. Kanye West, Rihanna. Uh, it's, there's always something that, that really gets me hyped up about that song, right? Um, and so I would, I would I would play that for the team because that's what uh, that's what I wanted to that's how I wanted to think that's how I wanted to feel. We go. we got to run this town. Oh, I love it! I'll add it to our Spotify playlist. People can check it out and and get hyped with it. Last question for you, Siku. If you could travel to anywhere in the world with no red tape, no testing, no vaccination passes, where would you go and why? Oh man, um, man! I would say Cape Town uh, in, in in South Africa. Um, I I've, I've I've been fortunate to travel um, to, to to many different continents, um, and I, I still haven't been to Africa. And uh, you know, I, 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 I plan to hopefully I plan to uh, you know get to South Africa and Kenya and Nigeria and, and Egypt and some other places. Um, hopefully in my lifetime. Uh, but but yeah, I would think my first stop would be Cape Town in, in South Africa. Oh, amazing. I'll add it to our, um, creating a map of where all the places people said they want to go. So I have a bucket list. <laughs> so when I can travel, I know where I want to go as well. 
Thank you so much, Seku. This was this was awesome. I appreciate you. Thank you, thank you, Carrie. It's been fun. Uh, definitely happy to do it again. Uh, I love love chatting about marketing. I don't do it enough. I mean, I do it at work all day, but not in a more casual setting. <laughs> Absolutely, this was awesome. That was my conversation with Sekou White. Are you thinking differently about how to approach your audience? What's truly important to them and how are you going to build connections and relationships? So good. Thank you, Sekou, for joining me here and on our roundtable. Oh yeah, if you want to hear more from Sekou, be sure to head over to LinkedIn and check out our roundtable. He shares some more solid insights on how to be audience first. In the next episode, I chat with Aileen Kismano a co-founder of Cybersecurity Marketing Society. Aileen and I dig into how to stop using FUD. Don't know what FUD is? Stay on and the autoplay will take you there. Thank you for tuning in to season 12. This episode is brought to you by MKG Marketing, our digital marketing agency that helps cybersecurity and data management platforms get found via transparent, measurable digital marketing. It's hosted by me, Carrie Gard, CEO and co-founder of MKG, music mix and mastering done by Austin Ellis. And if you'd like to be a guest, please visit mkgmarketing.com to apply.